So glad to see you here. Uh, this is what I call the fall break straddle Sunday. Uh, we, we are straddling the end of one school system's fall break and the beginning of another school system's fall break. So I'm glad anybody showed up today, quite honestly. And uh, so good to see all of you. I know some of you may be on fall break and joining us online. And we're so glad you're tuning in uh, and are a part of this day and this service. Um, before we get into our study of Acts, uh, probably most of us, maybe all of us, uh, we've been focused again, unfortunately, on the Middle East and what is currently happening in Israel and Gaza. And uh, maybe you have opinions, maybe, maybe you know a lot more uh, about geopolitical issues than I do. What I know to do today is to call out to God on behalf of innocent people who are being harmed, killed, um, uh, facing the, the impact of a, a very long, a very complicated conflict, but certainly escalated uh, by, by terrorist organizations uh, that have ill intent and um, women and children especially suffering great harm uh, at this time as we meet today. And so what I want to do is um, I, I don't have the ability to solve that problem, but I, I can call out to the God who is over all things and is powerful and good and cares about people from all places and, and all cultures and all backgrounds and ask for him to protect the innocent who are in the way uh, of what we're seeing happen. Would you just join me before we start our message today? God, we come to you and it's at times like this that we feel really small and we feel um, helpless incredibly inadequate to respond to the moment to to know what can be done uh, this reminds us so painfully of the brokenness in the world and why you are on a mission to rid the world of evil and and hate and brokenness and that one day not today but one glorious day all the evil and wrong will be undone and right will remain. We trust you for that. It is hard living in the moment of evil. Uh, so we call out to you to protect uh, the innocents who are uh, experiencing loss and brokenness and hurt and fear right now. We ask that your spirit be close to them, be near them. This land that we often talk about on Sunday mornings, we read about in our Bible, the the land that, that Jesus walked, that uh, our Old Testament fathers and mothers raised their families and all of those incidents. We name these places. Not all of us have been to those places, but uh, right now there is great fear in that land. And we ask for your peace. We ask for wisdom among the world leaders, uh, our nation's leaders, uh, to guide through this horrible situation to restore peace in that land and long term god I, I pray that you would give wisdom to our world leaders to know how long term pre to prevent this from happening again uh, we love you and, and we trust you in jesus name amen um, we're in the book of acts we've been studying through the book of acts a series called uh, viral this morning you woke up to 
uh, a, a very different temperature than we've experienced in months and months and months, right? Yeah, and some of you have been waiting and you're cheering and it was in the 40s and it was everything you've been hoping for that fall would finally arrive. One of the things about lower temperatures, especially in the morning time, is uh, it's great for runners. For those of you who are runners in the house, you know this is peak running season. Those of you who are not runners are thinking there is no such thing as peak running season. Peak running season is when something big is chasing me, and that's about it. But uh, for those who are runners, this is your time to shine, right? This is the season of 5Ks and 10Ks. I've seen some of our families post almost every weekend a different race that they've been in. One of, one of our uh, members posted a half marathon that she completed yesterday. So we're, we're 5K, 10K season. We're kind of rolling now into half marathon, marathon season. The longer races, the cooler uh, that it gets when you run a longer race there 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 comes a point in a in a long race where your body is determined to stop your your body wants to know what were you thinking like why when did you think this was a good idea every muscle every joint is screaming out at you just lay down and take a nap. We do not have to finish this. There is no shame in taking a nap right here on the side of the road. And when your body is doing that to you, your mind has to find a way to tell your body, keep going, keep going. Take another step and then another step and then another step. You can finish, you can do this, keep going. I, I've shared with you before, I won't, I won't retrace the whole story, uh, mine and Julie's experiences with long races and me trying to be encouraging and my words not being very encouraging to her. And so th that's kind of the situation you get in. Nobody else can talk you to the finish. I mean, they can help a little bit maybe, but nobody else can get you there. You have to find some inner resource. There has to be something inside of you that decides... I can do this. I'm going to finish what I started. And again, other people can be helpful, but there's a limit to what their words can, can do for you. Uh, it, it is similar, kind of a hard right turn here, it's similar uh, to uh, delivering a baby, right, which I've never done, but I've been in the room where it happened three times. Uh, some of you dads have been in that room it's, an, it's a lose-lose situation for dads in that room. Like, there's no way to win. You just, you can't, you don't know what to say. You just don't want to say the wrong thing. But everything's the wrong thing at that moment. There is no right thing. You're not real sure where to stand. Right? You figure out pretty quickly where you don't want to stand. But you, you're not, you're like, I'll stand over there and wait this thing out. But you also want to be a part. And so you're... You're trying to be a part, but the reality is, like, your wife is doing 100% of the heavy lifting at that point. Like, you contribute nothing at that point. You go through the class, and they teach you how to, you know, coach and how to, it's a waste of time. Like, it doesn't matter what you say. This woman that you love and cherish, she wants to murder you in that moment. And if she could get her hand on a sharp instrument, it would be over for you. You're just trying to survive this moment. Uh, hard times in life are those moments where nobody else can do it for you. Nobody else can solve it for you. 
Nobody else can really give you the courage or the strength to make it through. Something inside of you has to rise up. Something inside of you has to be determined. I'm going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going. Uh, we've been following uh, Paul and Peter mainly through the book of Acts. When you get to the middle of Acts, around Acts 15 or so, the, the camera fully focuses on the, the Apostle Paul. Kind of the first half is Peter and Jerusalem and a little bit of James and some backstory for Paul. But when we get halfway through Acts, all of the action turns to Paul. He is the main figure. The camera is locked in on Paul and we get his story for the rest of chapter uh, for the rest of the book of Acts now the interesting thing about Paul and you may have picked up on this we have a little daily reading card out at the table some of us are reading through the book of Acts as we go through this series you may have already picked up on the fact that every every city that Paul goes to the same thing happens the same thing few details are changed the place is different but there is this cycle that Paul continues to go through in place after place after place. And I would say it like this. This is how I would describe the cycle that we find throughout the book of Acts. Number one, Paul goes to a new city. Whatever the name of that city is, Paul arrives, he goes to a new city. First thing he does, number two, Paul visits the synagogue to explain how the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. Teaches the gospel in the synagogue Number three, some people believe and get excited, as well as Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles. Some people believe they want to hear more. Uh, they give their life to Christ. They trust Jesus by faith. Some people believe and wanted to hear more. But then number four, other people get angry. Number five, Paul is mistreated, beaten, and at times imprisoned. Number six, Paul escapes. Number seven, Paul goes to the next city, and we do it all over again. Go to the synagogue, some people believe, some people get mad. Paul goes to jail, he gets beaten, people try to kill him, he escapes, goes to the next city, go back to number one and repeat. This happens over and over again. If you're reading through the book of Acts, you're going, that just happened. That happened in the last city. That happened in the last city. It happens so much that for me, as I'm reading through the book of Acts, I'm tempted to ask, how does he keep going? How does he keep going? doing this in city after city after city where he's nearly killed he's put in prison he's beaten again and again and again how does he keep going what is it within him that causes him to keep going and going and going and I probably don't know all of the reasons I want to share just a couple of reasons that I see in the story of Acts that motivate Paul even in the hardest moments to keep moving forward um, last few verses of chapter 15 they're the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey talked about his first missionary journey last week chapter 16 to the middle of 18 is his second missionary journey so kind of a loop around to visit cities and churches chapter 18 uh, to 21 is his third missionary journey so we're kind of jumping into Paul visiting all these different cities pause for one second I'll try to do this briefly I, w I want to, if, if you haven't seen this yet, I want to give you an organizational framework that I think helps in reading the book of Acts and definitely helps when you read the rest of the New 
Testament, or organizational framework, we are familiar with Paul from the book of Acts and then from all of the letters that he wrote. Like he writes about half of the New Testament. So we have all of these books in the New Testament from Paul. What is their relationship to the book of Acts? Here's the relationship. The letters that he writes in the rest of the New Testament are to the people he meets in the book of Acts. The cities that he visits, the churches that he starts, he leaves and then he writes them a letter. For example, last week he went through the southern region of Galatia in his first missionary journey. This week, second missionary journey is going to go back through Phrygia and Galatia. So when you read the book of Galatians, those are the people he's writing to. That's who's getting that letter. Chapter 17, 16, he's going to be in Philippi. We read about his story in Philippi. Well, when he writes Philippians, those are the people he's writing back to. He goes to Thessalonica. Well, First and Second Thessalonians are, is, is to those people. So that church, he, he goes to Corinth. Then he writes Corinth letters. He meets Timothy in the book of Acts. He writes First and Second Timothy. So just as you're organizing this in your mind, and especially when you read the letters of Paul, it can be helpful to come back to Acts and read the little section about that city because that's who he's writing to, and those are the experiences he had while he was in that city. Okay, moving on. Back to our question. How does Paul keep going? in the face of struggles and hostility. Here's, here's one of the reasons. Paul was convinced of his calling. He was just convinced. He was supposed to tell people about Jesus. Nothing mattered to Paul more than people learning about Jesus. He was convinced he was put on this earth to tell people who Jesus was, what Jesus did in his life, how he was transformed by Jesus, and how they could be transformed as well. And no matter how many roadblocks he ran up against, he was just convinced, I'm supposed to do this with my life. People need to hear Jesus, and I'm here to tell them. Example, Luke chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. No violence, no prison, but here was Paul constantly running up against closed doors. I want to tell these people about Jesus, not able to do it. I want to tell these people about Jesus, not able to do it. Paul did not give up until God made it clear, this is where you're supposed to go. This is where you're supposed to to be. And Paul was fine with that. Like Paul's so convinced of his calling that, that when he figured out, I can't share Jesus there, that's fine. I can't share Jesus there. I'm going to go share Jesus there because this is what I have to do. I have to do this. I have to tell people what God has done in me. And, and his calling remains always more important than his circumstances. 
more important than what he was experiencing more important than the reaction of other people like I, I, i'm not real sure how paul did it quite honestly because there there are times that people are mean to me and i think about quitting right people say mean things i'm like i'm out i'm done they say something mean about our church i'm, going, I'm done i'm not doing this anymore god i'm tired of all of this i'm over it you can have it that wasn't paul's reaction paul's reaction was i, I gotta tell people about jesus and not everybody's gonna receive it not everybody's going to like it i'm not going to get to do it everywhere that i want to do it but wherever i am i have to tell people about jesus now look i know we're not all paul we don't all have the same personality as Paul. I was talking to somebody in between the services. Before Paul became a believer, he was like 200% not believer, right? He was 200% opposing the church, and Paul comes to faith, and he takes that same 200% personality, and he puts it to work in serving Jesus. We don't all have the personality of Paul, but we all have the calling of Paul. Like the way you live it out is going to be different from Paul. The way you share your faith is going to be different from Paul. But God has asked you to share what he's done in your life with other people in the way that he asked Paul to do the same thing. And, and I know Paul's conversion, it was really dramatic. It was a huge change, and there was, a, there was a light, and there was the voice of Jesus, and there was a vision, and he went to this person's house, and he was blind, and then he could see. There's all of this dramatic content to Paul coming to faith, but the reality is anytime somebody comes to faith, it's dramatic content. Anytime somebody comes to faith, it's a transformation. We were spiritually dead, and now we're spiritually alive. We were, we were blind to spiritual things, and now we can see spiritual things in our life. What God did in you, Whatever the process was, however it happened for you was a dramatic conversion because you became a believer with heaven as your eternal home. And God says to you, just tell people what happened to you. Just tell people why you're different. Just tell people what Jesus did in your life, wherever you happen to be. Here's something to remember. <clears throat> Here's something I've had to remind myself of throughout my life calling this calling of god isn't dependent on location it's not dependent solely on a specific set of circumstances paul's circumstances were constantly changing and we just read he wanted to go here and share jesus couldn't wanted to go there and share jesus couldn't wanted to go there couldn't finally went here and shared jesus because paul realized where I am is not as important as whether or not I'm obedient there. Where I am is not as important as whether I'm going to be obedient. There have been multiple times in my life that I thought I was going to be at a certain place in ministry serving God here for a long, long time, and it didn't work out that way. Multiple times in my life, I had to wrestle through, well, if I'm not doing that, Am I still called? And the answer was always, yeah. Yeah, you're not there anymore, but you're here, and God has something for you to do. And when you leave there, you're going to be somewhere new, and God has something for you to do. God has a calling on you. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can link calling to location, and we can link calling to title. Well, I'm no longer that, 
God must not be able to use me. Well, I'm no longer in that role. I no longer have that title. I'm no longer in that place. For whatever reason, I'm no longer there. Yeah, but your calling's the same. What God wants to do in your life isn't limited to the place you find yourself. It's not limited to the title that you give yourself or anybody else gives you. Your calling is about what Jesus has done in your life and how you are capable of sharing that with other people. Paul just had this deep security that God had called him and was going to use him. Here's another reason Paul's able to keep going. Paul continued to praise in the prison of life. Paul continued to praise in the prison of life. Every time life got hard, Paul found a way to look to Jesus. Paul found a way to worship, to praise, even in the most difficult of circumstances. Paul's life, his ministry, his writings, they give us no hope of living a life free from pain. If that's what you're looking for, if you want to read where you're promised an easy life with no pain and no challenges, don't read Paul. Don't read Acts. Don't read his letters because he is vividly, sometimes painfully honest that life is hard sometimes. Circumstances are not always ideal. Circumstances are sometimes difficult and we can still look to Jesus in those moments. We can still find peace and hope in those moments. One example, Acts 16, he travels to Philippi. This is starting in verse 22. He's preached. People have responded. Other people have gotten mad. They bring him before the authorities. Verse 22 says the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. So arrested, tried, beaten, flogged, not just in jail, in the inner cell, uh, fastened their, feets, their feet in, in stocks. Not going according to plan. Right, like this is not where he intended to end up. And yet, while he was there, he found a way to praise. It's not that his circumstance was perfect. It's not that his circumstance was even good. He later writes to the Thessalonians these words, We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. We suffered and we were treated outrageously. Outrageously. And, and just being honest, I, me in that situation may, may have checked out. I don't know how, how strong you view yourself. But me in that situation, that may have been the moment when I said, done, done. I can be a Walmart greeter. I can do a lot of things, God. I don't have to do this. People keep treating me this way. I don't have to do this. That, that's not what Paul said. That's not how Paul responded. Verse 25, about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. After a day of being tried, beaten, flogged, 
intercell, feed in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They were singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, some of us know what happens next. That's what clouds our reading of this story. Some of us know what verse 26 says before we even read it, right? We know 25, they're in jail, and they're singing hymns. But some of us already know what verse 26 says, and so we're kind of fast-forwarding. Paul and Silas didn't know what verse 26 said in verse 25, though. We get to verse 26, earthquake happens, prison doors swing open, chains fall off, they're free. The jailer runs in, ultimately gives his life to Christ. His whole family gets baptized. There is this nice bow to the ending, right? This, we're going to put this nice bow on this story. It was bad. Now it's great. We all know that's coming. Nobody knew that was coming in verse 25. When they started to sing, the earthquake had not happened. The doors had not opened. Nobody was interested. They're just in jail. They're just in jail. You think, a lot of us kind of have this bargain with God in our minds. We don't say it, but we think it. We sort of have this bargain that, God, as soon as the earthquake starts, I'll start singing. <laughs> as soon as the prison doors open, I got a good song for that moment. I got a whole playlist on Spotify for doors opening. It's long. Longest Spotify playlist I got is door open playlist. The question is, how long of a playlist do you have for inner cell, feed in stocks, doors closed? Because that was Paul's playlist. Paul's playlist was, it doesn't matter how hard the situation is. It doesn't matter how bad the moment is. We're going to praise the Lord anyway before the doors open, before the the ground shakes, before this nice happy ending. We're going to praise the Lord anyway. And, and, And let me push it just a little further. It is possible, I'm not saying this is every time, it is possible that some of us never experience the doors opening in verse 26 because we don't live out the praising in verse 25. We never experience the earthquake of verse 26 because we don't set our heart and our mind and our affections on God before the earthquake in verse 25. Sometimes our praise, sometimes our commitment to the Lord when it's hard when some people would be tempted not to keep going. We don't set our heart and our affection on God. In that moment, sometimes we miss the praise that was going to usher in the miracle. We miss out on the praise that was going to open the door. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that praise is a gimmick. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that praise is a gimmick so that we get the thing that we want. Praise is a state of our heart and a state of our mind and being able to say, Jesus, whether it opens or not, whether the ground shakes or not, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to sing. Whether I understand this moment or not, I believe you. I trust you. Because honestly, sometimes the doors don't open. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the ground doesn't shake. Sometimes we sit there in the hard moment and we just keep putting our eyes on Jesus. We just keep putting our heart on Jesus. 
We just keep believing that God has not lost sight of us. Here's where that praise helped Paul and Silas. Praise helps us focus on Jesus and not the locked doors. We always have that choice, right? We always have the choice of whether our focus is going to be on what is holding us in or whether our focus is going to be on the one who's above everything. Our focus is going to be on the one who deserves our praise and is at work. I am not saying that's always easy. Sometimes our praise is weighed down by our pain, but that doesn't mean our praise has to stop. Sometimes our praise is weighed down, tied together with hurt and tears and sorrow. But it is the hurt and the tears and the pain and the sorrow that often makes our praise its most beautiful, its most true, its most meaningful. It isn't accompanied with our wish list being granted. It is just purely for praise of Jesus. This is where Paul and Silas are. Don't know if they'll open. We're not praising God so they'll open. We're praising God because he's God. We're, we're praising Jesus because he's Jesus and he is worthy of our heart and our affection. Let's move on. Another reason Paul's able to keep going forward is this. Paul followed Jesus in community. I don't, I, I don't want to dismiss that. I don't want to sell that short. I know that people don't always know the right thing to say or the right thing to do, and sometimes there's not a right thing to say or do. But Paul demonstrates all throughout his life and ministry this commitment to community. You, you can't read the letters of Paul or the life of Paul in the book of Acts without constantly bumping into people that he was friends with, without Paul constantly saying, this is my guy right here. I'm so thankful for this lady. I'm so thankful for those people. I'm so, I'm so grateful that that person came to visit me when I was hurting. Right? Throughout the rest of Paul's life, we see people showing up when Paul is in, under house arrest. Like people just, but why? Because he had invested in people. He was committed to deep, real relationships. When he's ultimately imprisoned in Rome, these are the people who show up in his life. These are the people he says, come see me, come see me. I want to spend time with you. Paul did his whole life, his whole ministry in community. This is how ministry is intended to be accomplished. This is how the Christian life is intended to be lived out. If we, if we read the life of Paul and we run into names like Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and Priscilla and Aquila and Lydia and Apollos, just to name a few, if we keep running into these lists of names at the end of every letter, friends of Paul's, then it must be the height of arrogance for us to sit 2,000 years later and think, I can figure out my Christianity on my own. I mean, it must be the height of arrogance if Paul demonstrates a life of community, deep friendships with people, and we think, I got this. Like, I don't need anybody else. I don't need anybody else in my life. I got this. I'm fine on my own. I'm figuring out my Christianity. I'm figuring out my spiritual life. How, how prideful is that? When Paul himself lived deeply connected to other people. Yes, ministry is messy at times. Really messy. Relationships 
are messy at times, really messy. Relationships are difficult at times. We are different people. We see some things differently. We don't always respond the way we should respond. We say things we shouldn't say. Relationships are messy and difficult and necessary. Necessary. For us to be the people that God intends for us to be and for us to be able to keep going when life gets hard. You may have experienced that already in your life. You had a hard moment. You had a tragedy. You had a difficult time. And there were people there. And that's how you kept going. Not because they said the right thing. Not, not because they had a magic answer. It's just that the deep well of relationship that you had developed prior to the problem bore fruit in the middle of your sorrow, bore fruit in the middle of your challenge. You had invested in relationships, and it paid off. Last reason. Paul was able to keep going because Paul was burdened for the souls of people. He was genuinely burdened. For other people. He cared about other people. He cared about their eternal destinies. This weighed on him. He had been transformed by the work of Jesus in his life. He knew what he was. He knew what he was becoming. He knew what his eternity was going to be. And he was burdened that there were people that didn't know this. There were people who had not experienced Jesus in the way he had experienced. Acts chapter 17, Paul arrives in Athens, Greece, not Georgia. Here's what we read, Acts 17, 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. He was greatly distressed. He was burdened. He, he didn't... He didn't stroll into Athens and say, oh, these are a bunch of lost people. They're all going to hell. Right? There wasn't that dispassionate approach. He saw the representation of their beliefs, and it broke his heart. It broke his heart because all over this city, Paul knew there are men and women and children who don't know Jesus they don't know what Jesus has done for them. They are giving their lives to things that do not matter. He was burdened for the souls of people. So what does he do? Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. He didn't yell at them. He didn't get angry at them. Paul sees this city so deep in their lostness, in their separation from Jesus. His heart is burdened for them. So what does he do? He reasons with them. He talks to them. He has dialogue with them. He has conversation with them. He speaks with the, with the religious leaders, but, but in verse 18 we read, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. He... he he, he reasoned with the religious leaders, but he also reasoned with the secular philosophers. The both and. See, Paul's burden for the souls of people, it wasn't limited to certain categories of people. It wasn't limited to certain types of people. Paul wanted everybody to know Jesus. 
If you were a religious leader and you didn't know Jesus, Paul wanted you to know Jesus. If you were a secular philosopher and you didn't know Jesus, Paul desperately, compassionately wanted you to know Jesus. In, in, in the vernacular of our day, we would, we would say Paul was, he was burdened for conservatives, he was burdened for liberals. He's burdened for Democrats, he's burdened for Republicans, he's burdened for independents, he's burdened for white collar, he's burdened for blue collar, he's, he's burdened for the intellectual, and he's burdened for the pragmatist. If you didn't know Jesus, it didn't matter what other label you carried. It didn't matter from what other part of the world you were from. Paul deeply wanted people to experience Jesus, maybe you know the story at this point. The philosophers bring Paul to the Areopagus, which the Areopagus was just an area where they just debated stuff. They talked about ideas and opinions and philosophies and which philosophy was best and which philosophy was worse. They didn't do a lot with it. There's this great verse in uh, chapter 17, verse 21. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. They didn't do anything. They just talked about stuff. Which, let's be honest. Those are the most annoying people, aren't they? Like, those are the last people I would have wanted to talk to. But Paul says, them too. Like, the do-nothings who just talk about how smart they are, man, they need to know Jesus. They, they need to experience what I've experienced with Jesus. So Paul goes up to them. And he says, people of Athens... I see that in every way you are very religious. Again, respectful, not criticizing, not calling names, not, not choosing battles where there doesn't have to be a battle. I see you're very spiritual. You are very religious. You have practices that are really important to you, and I respect that. I respect that you have a way of seeing the world. And then he goes on. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. If you're not familiar with the story at the Areopagus, there were idols everywhere. Again, these were philosophers. They talked about religion. They talked about uh, philosophy and different uh, world views. And so they had uh, idols to all of the Greek gods that they could think of. And just in case they missed one, they had a special idol to the unknown God. Don't want anybody to feel left out. If we forgot about you, we didn't mean to forget about you. So we're going to give you this one. This is whoever we forgot to mention, the unknown God. And Paul walks in there and says, hey, I appreciate. I, I appreciate your discussion, your conversation. You're very intelligent. I know that you're religious. I know you're interested in spiritual things. Can I talk to you about this God right here, the one you don't know? I just want to tell you who this is because this God can actually be known and he's actually the only real God. And Paul, in the Areopagus, surrounded by these brilliant intellectual philosophers, shares Jesus. Why? Because they were all going to listen? Nope. Because he just cared so deeply about the spiritual condition of every person he met. And that motivated him to keep going. Motivated him to keep going. Was everybody going to listen? No, this is what happens in verse 32. When they heard, the, the audience that he's talking to, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, 
We want to hear you again on the subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. What motivated Paul to keep going? There was a Damaris out there who didn't know Jesus. And if Paul would share the gospel, she would come to know Jesus, and she did. What motivated Paul to keep going at his worst moments? There were a number of others, it says. We don't know their names. We just know that that day, Paul was obedient to share Jesus, and they came to know Christ. What kept him going? There was a Dionysius in the crowd. Who knows how long he had been coming to the Areopagus? Who knows how many different philosophies he'd considered, maybe even adopted? Who knows how many conversations he had been a part of? But one day, Paul shows up, shares Jesus, and Dionysius comes to faith. Some early historians say that this Dionysius becomes the first bishop of Athens the first Christian leader over the churches in Athens. Why? Because one guy didn't quit. Because one guy didn't give up. When he was imprisoned and beaten and rejected and had to move from place to place, sometimes leaving cities in the middle of the night, and Paul says, there's still somebody who needs to know Jesus. I'm not quitting. I'm not you treat me however you want to. I'm not quitting. Dionysius is out there. Damaris is out there. There are people out there who need to know Jesus. I mean, what what might God do among us if we just felt this weight for our community in the way that Paul felt it? Knowing, I mean, objectively knowing, our whole community is probably not going to come to Christ, but there may be one that does. There may be a number of others that do. God may use your story, your testimony, regardless of the circumstances, regardless how some people respond to you. Yep, some people sneered. It's going to happen. And some people are going to come to faith. With all of the... With all of the pressure we may sometimes feel as believers hesitancy to share our story the reality is god uses your story today just like he used paul's story 2000 years ago that same power the same spirit that changed people's lives because paul was obedient will change people's lives when we're obedient and all of the other things All of the other little things that we might debate over that might separate us pale in comparison to this kingdom mission that God didn't just call Paul to. God God called us to. God called you to. God called me to. If we just won't quit. God, I pray that you would renew in us a burden for the lost souls of people that you would renew in us a compassion for that one person or those two people or that group of people, that if we would just be faithful 
to share what Jesus has done in us, it might change their life. Who knows what might happen a year down the road or five years down the road or ten years down the road if we just kept telling people what Jesus has done for us. God, help us to have that boldness, that courage to reason with people, to dialogue with people, to care about people enough to care about their eternal destinies. And through us, May you bring people into the kingdom. Because of your Spirit's work, redeem and save and forgive and give eternal life to people in our circles. Where do we have to go? Let us be obedient. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.